Well, guys, thank you for being here. If we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be here to celebrate God's faithfulness over the last 90 years, and it's great to see uh, a bunch of old friends here. Uh, you need to uh, keep that uh, passage from Colossians open as we look at it, but there's two things very quickly. Um, if you are a kid who's in primary school who's with us, there is some, um, like, uh, something, a sheet on a clipboard. Okay, I'm glad you made it in a paper aeroplane. Can you tell who the pastor's kid is? Um, uh, but if you want one of, one of those and you and you don't have one, Beth is going to going to grab one now, one for you now. So put put up your hand. Um, the other thing is um, we we stand here as a church um, on on a foundation that God has been laying for the last 90 years. And I know as a pastor, I stand on the shoulders of giants. And one of the things that we've got up the back is um, a few cards to uh, some of the, the pastors that have uh, been pastoring this church, uh, for Stuart Somerville, for Neville Cave, and for Robert Dunn. It's just on the wooden table next to the sound desk. So if you have been blessed by one of those uh, men's ministries, please, can you just uh, write a quick note? We're going to uh, send those to them, and we hope that they'll be encouraged as they have encouraged us. So, um, yeah, anyway, with that in mind, I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump in to this passage. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for 90 years. What an amazing thing it is that you established a church 90 years ago and by your grace we are still here talking about Jesus, proclaiming who he is. Uh, and Lord, we pray as we've already prayed for not only just 90 years but as many years as it takes until you come back. And so Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us and through me. I pray that um, our hearts, our minds and everything would be changed. Lord, we don't want to just be amazed or inspired by your words. We want to be changed. And so may you change us as we hear your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a bunch of years ago, I was back in Maury where I grew up and I was walking down the street and I ran into a friend of mine. Well, he was a friend at high school, but we hadn't seen each other since high school. And he said to me, so what have you been doing for the last 20 years? And I was like, well, how do you kind of summarize 20 years into a few moments? Do you talk about your work? Do you talk about your family? Do you talk about your hobbies? What do you do, Right. Now, now, here's the thing. It's very hard to summarize 20 years of life for me. But it's actually very easy to summarize what we have been doing as a church for 90 years. What has MCC been doing for 90 years? It has been telling people about Jesus and glorifying him. That's what we've been doing for 90 years. And if you're here and you're figuring out where, like if this is the church for you, that's what we plan on doing for the next 90 or 900 or 9,000 or however long it takes until Jesus comes back. And we're going to see in this passage why. Why are we proclaiming Jesus? And what we're going to see is Jesus is not only the one who defines us as a church, but he defines you as a person. In fact, he is not the, uh, Jesus is not just the reason we exist as a church, but he is the reason that you exist. As we look at our passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to see Jesus is the ruler of creation. 
Jesus is the ruler of the new creation. And finally, Jesus is the God who is for us. Let's have a look at that first point. Jesus is the ruler of creation. Have a look at Colossians 1 verse 15 with me. It says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Son, he's obviously talking about Jesus here. But don't get tripped up in this language. The image, he's not trying to say he's like a copy He's like saying, it's like saying, if you were to go in a, uh, in back 2,000 years ago in a time machine, and if you looked at Jesus in the face, you'll be staring in the face of God. The, the words here, the firstborn over all creation, that doesn't mean there was a time where he existed. No, back in this day, the firstborn meant he had the same authority as a father in the local business. Now, a friend of mine back in uh, Maureen, his name was Clinton. He became part of, he became working for his, his dad who owned a business. And the dad, the first day that Clinton worked for his dad, said to the whole company, he said, this is my son. When he speaks, he speaks with my authority. So you obey him just like you would obey me. Here what Paul is saying is, Jesus has that authority. He is the firstborn over all creation means that he's got all the authority of God himself. But not only that, did you see, have a look at verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Did you see the list there? It's pretty exhaustive. All things, whether things created, things in heaven and on earth, that's pretty much everything, visible and invisible. Once again, that is everything, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things. He is saying if you go to the depths of, of, of the sea and you see one of the weird little sea creatures, or you go to the farthest flung galaxy and you see one of the huge stars, everything in between and everything has been created by Jesus and for Jesus. That is to say that you have been created by Jesus and for Jesus. I wonder when you think of the world that we live in, when you're down at Bondi Beach, do you, do you think, wow, Bondi Beach is amazing. It's been created by Jesus and for Jesus. I wonder if you have a look at the stars in the sky, do you think it has been created by Jesus? And for Jesus. A number of years ago, when my kids were younger, I was uh, walking home with, uh, with my kids. Niels was in the pram, and Elijah wasn't born at that point. And Emma was four years old, and I was rushing to get home. I needed to cook dinner so that, you know, Kate could have food when she, was, when she came home. She was working at that time. And uh, so I, I, was, I was walking, walking, and then I'm saying, Emma, come on, let's go, walk, walk. And then I hear, oh, Dad, you should see this. This is so cool. Then I turn around, and Emma's pointing at the ground and laughing. And I just think, finally, you know, my kids have lost it. I knew it was going to happen at some point. But anyway, I, I go and say, well, like, what are you doing? And she's pointing at a bunch of ants and laughing. And she's just having so much fun with uh, these ants which are doing all these things. I didn't think it was too funny because I was thinking of, of, of dinner, right? But she is enjoying these ants. And I said, hey, we've got to go. And so we went. And then she says to me, 
with, with, with the beautiful inside of a four-year-old, she says, Dad, I love the fact that Jesus made ants so we could laugh at them. <laughs> See, and what did, what did Emma realize back then? It's something that a lot of us have forgotten. It, it, it's a truth that is in Colossians, and that is that even ants have been created by Jesus and for Jesus. There is something in even ants that call us to praise the creator God because they've been created by him and for him. And as I've said, you have been created by Jesus and for him. You will not find anything in this world that will satisfy you, that will bring you meaning outside of Jesus because you weren't created to put the things of this world at the center of your life you have been created to put Jesus at the center of your life. And as you worship him, you find the reason for your existence. You find what you've been created for. And so I want to ask you, have you put your trust in Jesus? Is he at the center of your life? Have you, do you realize that he is meant to be the one that you live for because you were created by him and for him? One of the great things we've been doing, or the main thing that we've been doing in the last 90 years uh, as a church, is we've been telling people and seeing people come to know that Jesus is the reason why they're created. That Jesus is the one that, that created them. That Jesus is the one that they've been created for. And this is what we want to do in the future, don't we? We want to see a flood of people come to know that they have been created by Jesus and for Jesus. And so that's why we do the things that we do at church, right? That's why we're putting on evangelistic courses like A Fresh Look. That's why we're, we're doing, uh, you know, the, the, the carol thing that we're going to do. That's why we do all these things because we want to see people come to know that they've been created by Jesus and for Jesus. This year it's been so encouraging just to see, you know, a few people come to a fresh look and give their life to Jesus. Uh, and we're running a fresh look now and we're seeing a few people check Jesus out. And, and so there's a trickle of people coming to know Jesus, but we want to see a flood of people come to know Jesus. Why? Because he is the ruler of creation. He is not just a great man or a great miracle worker, although he was a great man and a great miracle worker. He was not just a great moral teacher or, or, or a great orator, although he was those things. No, he is God in the flesh. He is the reason why all creation exists. He is the ruler of creation. But also, he's also the ruler of the new creation. Have a look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Paul, he uses the analogy of, of the, the church like a body. And just like a body, um, your body needs its head to function, right? What, what he's saying is this, that Jesus is the one who makes the church function, he is not only ruling the church, but he's the one who makes the church function. But not only that, he was the first, born to, first one to be raised from the dead. That means the world and evil could not defeat him. But that, that means that as the ruler of creation, and because he is the head of the church, 
And because he is the one who defeated death, he will be ruling the church forever. And that means that the church will always be powerful. So many people are saying today that the church numbers are waning, and they are. Some people say, talk about the church's relevance. But guess what? When Jesus, because Jesus is reigning and ruling, the church throughout the ages will always be potent. Will always be potent. It will never cease to exist because Jesus will never cease to exist. Jesus is the one who is working powerfully through his church. He's been doing it for 90 years and he will do it into the future also. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus ruling his church and reigning over his church and empowering his church means that there are so many different ways that he has been working through our church over the last 90 years. Some of them we would know. Some of them we can see. But I dare say that Jesus has been working through you and me in ways that we can't even remember. Jesus has been working through the, the text that you sent to encourage that person. Jesus has been working through that meal that you dropped over when that person was going through a, a life crisis. Jesus has been working as you've invited your friends to, to church. Jesus has been uh, working as you've been reading the Bible or you've been setting up for something or you've been at kids' church or whatever. God, uh, God in, through Jesus, has been powerfully working through his church. And so here's the thing. I am prepared and expecting to be blown away by all that Jesus has done through MCC. Because I think we see about 2% or even less of what Jesus is doing through MCC and has done through MCC. And yet I think when we get to heaven, we will be going, oh, he did that, and he did that, and he did that, and he did that. I think a million years from now, we will be noting all the things that Jesus has done through his church. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this question. If you call yourself part of MCC, are you on board with God continuing to do great things in and through his church? Are you putting yourself in a place where you are letting God do great things through you? Because we want to be a church that is all on about God doing great things through us in many, many different ways. Are you on board with that? Are you excited to see the great things that God is doing through his church? Jesus is not only the ruler of creation. He's not only the ruler of the new creation, the church. Jesus is the God who is for us. Have a look at verse 19 with me. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on heaven, sorry, on, on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do you see once again it's saying that, that God uh, had all his fullness to dwell in Jesus? That is to say, once again, if you look at Jesus, you're looking at God in the flesh. But do you notice what Jesus came to do. Jesus came into the world with one mission, to reconcile a world to him. There was once a, a woman named Dorothy L. Sayers. 
Dorothy L. Sayers was the first woman to graduate from Oxford University with a degree. She was famous for her writings, especially her detective novels. In her detective novels, she used to uh, write about a man named Lord Peter Whimsey. Lord Peter Whimsey was a detective uh, whose life was successful and yet empty. It was successful because he seemed to, to solve every crime. But it was empty because he didn't have anyone to go home to at night. Didn't have a wife and kids. And so Dorothy L. Sayers wrote a person into that story named Harriet Vane. Miss Vane was the first woman ever to graduate from Oxford. Miss Vane was a writer of detective novels. Miss Vane was very good at her work. Miss Vane and Lord Peter Whimsey fell in love, got married, and had kids. What was Dorothy L. Sayers doing? She was writing herself into the story of Lord Peter Whimsey to save him from his miserable life. What has the Lord Jesus done in history? He has written himself into the history of the world to save us from our sin and rebellion against God. Let me ask you, has the Lord Jesus written himself into your life? But, but I want you to see... What a dire situation we were in. I wonder if you saw, there's two words. Have a look at verse 20 again. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Those two words that should leap off the page, reconcile and peace. But because they actually don't say that we've just been ignoring God. They say they've, uh, we've actually been at war with God. Well, you reconcile two people who are at war or, or, or two people who are enemies. They become friends and then they're reconciled. So it's not like this. It's not like uh, there was a lady around the corner from where I lived. She was a nice lady, I've been told. Uh, she, she taught piano. She lived there for decades. And yet, I didn't really have anything to do with her. In fact, when she was out the front and I rode my bike past her, just kind of ignored her. I kept driving, riding. Uh, and yet, the Bible says that it's, that's not our relationship with God. It's not like we know that God is there and we're just ignoring him. No, the words reconcile and peace imply it's more like this, that we are terrorists who are doing everything that we can to destroy God and doing everything we can to rule. Can you see how dire the situation is but notice once again what Jesus does. He doesn't leave us in our rebellion. He becomes human and dies, sheds his blood so we could be reconciled. That's what he's done for you. And the beautiful thing about that is, if Jesus loves you at your worst and died for you and forgave you at your worst, He's going to keep loving you and forgiving you no matter how much of a mess your life is. One of the beautiful things we love to talk about is the grace of Jesus here at MCC. The grace of God means that, that no matter how sinful you get, Jesus will still love you. There is still forgiveness there. The gospel is not, I obey to be accepted. The gospel is, 
I'm accepted by the Lord Jesus through his death and therefore I, I, I obey. It's grace. And one of the things when, when we get that grace a bit off, that's when we get a bit off with Jesus and our Christian life is not where it should be. I wonder if, if you still think grace is amazing. I wonder if you still think that, or, or feel as, we, as you hear about grace, as you sing about grace, does your heart leap with the joy that comes from knowing that you've been forgiven, that you are now friends with the Lord Jesus? See, God loved you and I so much that when we were doing our best to fight against him, he sent his son to die for you. Is God for you? Is God in your corner? Absolutely. Just have a look at the cross. Does God love you? Absolutely. Have a look at the cross. I think this is an amazing passage to actually talk about, to talk about 90 years of celebrating because it talks about Jesus, which we've been talking about for 90 years. Here we see Jesus in all his glory. We see him, he, he is the ruler of all creation. He is the ruler of the new creation. He's the ruler of the church. And he died for us. Jesus died and loved you and me. Jesus brings you home by his grace. One day this Jesus will wipe away every tear. One day this Jesus, you will be singing his praises for eternity. That's this Jesus. And as I said, this Jesus is empowering us to do amazing things. In fact, I would say Jesus empowers his church, whether it be the church down the road or MCC, to change the world. And you probably look around at us and go, come on, change the world, that's a bit much. Like, you know, there's some of us, like me, I can't even change my oil. And we're meant to change the world. And yet if you have a look... What has God been doing, not just for the last 90 years, but for the last 2,000? He's been using ordinary people like you and me to change the world. Just think back after the resurrection. For 40 days, Jesus hangs out with the disciples. And then Jesus goes back up to heaven. He ascends into heaven. And can you imagine the conversation he has the angels are there going, great job, Jesus, you defeated Satan and sin and death. You rose from the dead. Amazing job, Jesus. Now what's the plan? I've just left it with those 11 guys. And the angels go, are you kidding me, right? And then what happens? Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit comes. And these men are changed from cowering and fearful individual people to people who go and stand before the rulers of the age and they say, there is one Lord, and that is Jesus. He died for us, and he has risen from the grave. And over the next number of years, the, the gospel is preached through Rome and Asia. In the next 300 years, the known world hears about Jesus. Fast forward to the early 1780s, when, when a group of men called the Eclectic Society in, in England heard about a new land that they called Van Diemen's Land, we call Australia. And they wanted to make sure that, that there was a chaplain, a minister of the gospel on the fleet that went over. And so they got their money together 
and they organized a gospel preacher, Richard Johnson, to come out on the First Fleet in 1788. Fast forward to February 3rd, 1788, the first gospel sermon happens on Australian land. It was by, once again, Richard Johnson on Psalm 116. And to this day, you can go to the corner of Bly and Hunter Streets in the city to see where that sermon was preached. Fast forward to the early 1930s, where here, where we are sitting, there was a Methodist church that got burnt down. The Methodist church did not want to give us another church. So there was a a bunch of people in the middle of the Great Depression, just after the First World War, that they got their time and their money together. And they built the church that we are sitting in right now. And and what have they done over these years? They have been on mission for Jesus. In fact, they called themselves Marsfield Mission because they knew that they were on a mission to tell the world about Jesus. Fast forward to now, how did the gospel get to you and to me? It it, it got to you and me through ordinary people like you and me telling us about Jesus so we could put our trust in the Lord Jesus. It was was people, ordinary people empowered by Jesus, ordinary people like you and me that are being empowered by Jesus to tell of who he is and what he has done. That's why I am confident that God is empowering us as a church to see a flood of people come to know Jesus. Yes, there's a trickle now. We're praying for a flood in the future. This, the Lord Jesus, who rules over creation, rules over his church, who is for us, this is the Lord Jesus who is empowering us, empowering ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things for the Lord Jesus. Are you excited for the next 90 years? I am, and I hope you are too. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for your blessing of us. Thank you that 90 years ago, you you caused the church here to be made, to, 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 to be planted. Lord Jesus, we pray as you have empowered this church for the, for the last 90 years, that you would empower us for the next 90, 900, 9,000 years or until Jesus comes back. Lord, we want to see not just a trickle of people come to know Jesus, which we've seen this year. We want to see a flood of people come to know Jesus. Will you work in us to so proclaim Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit that we would see that? And can we always, will you always help us to remain faithful to you and to make much of the Lord Jesus? We pray this in his name. Amen.